Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. I have a special announcement. Last week's guest, Joy Johnson, is currently offering free social stories to help children with autism better understand racial inequality and the current protests taking place across the U.S. As a behavior specialist, Joy has also created the Black Spectrum Fund, which allows her to provide services free of charge to Black autistic children and adults. To download her social stories and make a donation to this important cause, please visit joyfjohnson.com. Today's guest is Katagena Chiskova. Katagena is a psychologist and a clinical director at ABA Centrum, an autism center in Prague, Czech Republic. The Global Autism Project partnered with ABA Centrum in 2016. We have since sent nine Skill Corps volunteer teams to provide sustainable hands-on training. Katagena and I worked closely together last year as she was completing the supervision hours required by the Behavior Analyst Certification Board, or BACB. She is doing amazing work at ABA Centrum, and I am so proud to know her as a partner, colleague, and friend. In this conversation, we discuss the types of services available for individuals with autism in Czech Republic, the potential harm of implementing interventions that are not evidence-based, and some of the ethical considerations to review when designing programs. Katagena is passionate about Applied Behavior Analysis, or ABA. She talks about how she became involved in the field, why she thinks ABA is sometimes misunderstood by parents and professionals, and how she views the changes to the BACB's international credentialing. At the time of recording, on April 23rd, ABA Centrum was closed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Katagena describes the center's transition to online services and how they keep parents engaged from a distance. In this episode, discover what's possible when someone fosters motivation by encouraging autonomy. For more information about Katagena and ABA Centrum, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. And now, I present you Katagena Chiskova. Hi, Katagena. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Hi, thanks for the invitation. I'm so excited to have you here because I really admire your work ethic and how dedicated you are to your students, families, and the field of ABA in general. Oh, thank you. It's very easy to be dedicated to such an amazing field and the students and everyone involved. <laughs> We'll come back to the work you do and the partnership with the Global Autism Project. But first, could you explain the attitudes and understanding of autism in Czech Republic? So I think over the last couple of years, the change has been pretty incredible. Originally, I'm a psychologist. And during my studies, I didn't hear all that much about autism, absolutely nothing about ABA. And 
I think generally the ideas about autism were very much related to the way it was shown on media. So people imagined either someone who's extremely intelligent or brilliant in some way, or someone who's just screaming and hitting their head against the wall. And not only people who never met with people with disabilities, but also professionals from different fields. And in the last couple of years, also thanks to the whole ABA initiative, and definitely thanks to the parents of children with autism who were getting extremely upset about the lack of services, they were louder and louder, and it was not possible to overhear them, really. Because Czech Republic has 10 million people, and the current estimation is that there is somewhere between 100,000 and 200,000 people with autism which is a lot. It's not a small community. And the services are absolutely inappropriate or they were absolutely inappropriate. And now with the issue of autism becoming sort of a celebrity, there were some movies made and articles written about the taboo of severe autism, but also about Asperger's syndrome and some lighter forms of autism spectrum disorders. People started noticing. And now when I talk even to people who never met anyone with autism or they are not aware of it, they know very well of autism and they are usually also aware of the full spectrum of symptoms. What kind of services are available to children from the moment that they're diagnosed? I think if the families get to the point where the child gets diagnosed, they already are pretty successful because getting the diagnosis or the official diagnostics is still pretty difficult. There is a lack of practitioners or a lack of clinicians and psychiatrists. And usually when the parents get the first suspicion something might go wrong, it can take even a year or a year and a half before they actually get the official diagnosis, which is one of the main problems because then we're wasting all the time we might be already using for some work. When the child gets diagnosed, there are some options for the families including some early care services and psychologists who might even have quite a lot of experience with autistic children, but generally their capacities are extremely full. And even the early care services, they can only come to the families once a month for one or two hours. And there is no official stable network of experts that would be interconnected, that the parent would get not only the diagnosis, not only the code, but also some suggestions like here is the list of contacts, you do this and this and this, this is the way it will work from now on. So most of our parents that we work with, their experience is that they're suddenly standing on a street with a paper stating the diagnosis and they have no idea what to expect or no idea where to turn to. Hmm. How are parents paying for services? Is it out of pocket or is there any funding from the government? Currently, there is no official funding for the services. Some of the services are provided for free, but those are, for example, those early care services. So you get, let's say, one visit per month that is paid by the government. Also, if your child gets some official psychiatric drugs, it also gets supported by the insurance system. But there is no support for any sort of approach like ABA. And the families have to pay it by themselves, which obviously is a huge burden for them because it's not that uncommon that only one of the parents work. The other one has to stay at home with the child. And then with one average salary, 
being able to afford everything that is connected to the autism, which is not only in our case ABA, but also occupational therapy, physiotherapy, all different sorts of therapies or approaches that the parents want to try because they are desperate to find out what works. That is actually really expensive. Mm. Do you see autistic children out in the community or is there a stigma around having a diagnosis? This stigma doesn't only go for autism. I think that kind of the stigma we have in here around the whole mental health issues or the area of mental health issues, it is uh, still not perceived to be entirely okay to find a psychotherapist or to go to see a psychologist. And autism belongs to one of the heavier diagnoses or something we do not want to hear about so much. I think it's still too difficult for some people to become fully aware of, so they prefer to close their eyes. Even some members of my family, when I recommended them a documentary about severe autism, they said they would prefer not to watch it because they don't want to see what's happening. And I understand that it is really difficult. They are not being awful people. It's just really difficult to watch and makes them feel hopeless. I think seeing someone with autism is getting more common, but it is kind of difficult for me to judge because I think I already used to the signals. I know what to look for. So there might be some subtle symptoms that I'm observing, I'm noticing, and I'm thinking in my head, this might be someone who has ASD or who has some troubles connected to autism. But uh, it is not common like you would go to a park or be in a tram and there would be a family with an autistic child that was obviously autistic. If there is someone like that, it is still a very awkward situation, I imagine, both for the family and for the people around them. They don't know how to behave. They are looking at the family. In some cases, they are offering inappropriate advices or comments. That's also the experience some of our families have. On the other hand, a lot of our families, for example, are commuting by tram or by subway, and they mostly have good experience. They are families with children that are not so extremely visible or loud, so they can sit on the chair, for example, or sit on the lap of their parents and look outside of the window. But still, it can be pretty clear that there is something a bit different about them. And the parents said that until now, they didn't really have that experience, even though people noticed, sometimes someone asked, and it was all right. So are children with autism integrated into the school system? There have been attempts to integrate them, growing attempts to integrate them. I imagine the idea is good, and we definitely need to involve them into broader community. But the system itself is not entirely ready for that because the teachers are not educated well. And there is one teacher for 25, sometimes even up to 35 students. And if there is one or even more kids with special needs that might not even have personal assistance with them, this is impossible for them to handle. So even though the idea might be beautiful and there are attempts to change that, and there are more and more courses emerging for special education teachers and for personal assistants, offering them ways how to work or giving them tools how to work with our children, with children with autism. And I imagine in this point, it is not possible to prepare the whole system at once and then just start it. It already started and we are slowly working on it. 
we're slowly educating people, we're slowly putting the children with autism amongst neurotypical children. And it is a process. But in some point, it was really difficult because they cancelled the schools that were specialized for children with special needs. And they kind of threw them into the typical system of education, which resulted in our children sitting in the corner and playing or just doing their own thing because the teacher had no capacity to take special care of them. Are there any services available for adults? There are services. Usually they are not specialized for people with autism. And they are generally services for adult people with some sort of mental disorder or disability or impairment. So you usually have people suffering from schizophrenia together with people suffering with intellectual disability and people with autism. And they are providing some protected environment where they can learn some basic life skills, work on their social skills and uh, attend some group therapies and so on. But mostly they are for higher functioning individuals, I would say. There is extreme lack of really good services for adult people with more severe disabilities. And those usually end up under heavy medication or in psychiatric hospitals, but not living a very dignified lives. Unfortunately, that's the case in many places around the world. People don't really have a place to go. And so they're put in these institutions and forgotten about, sadly. Yeah. One of the documentaries I was talking about that actually was a breakthrough in the field of autism was Children of the Full Moon. It was done a couple of years ago, and it was done by a journalist whose daughter has a severe autism. And he was the first one to talk publicly about how the system is failing those families, that there is no support for them, no financial support, but also no services that could make life a bit easier for them, take care of the child for a little bit. Back then, there was only one residential center for people with ASDs where they could actually stay, where they could actually live. I think the capacity was somewhere around 20 people. They had a huge waiting list of people who wanted to get in. And it was literally not possible because those people were there for their whole lives. I'm not sure how has the situation changed for adult clients by now because I work mostly with children from the age three to nine. But I don't think it changed that much. Mm -hmm. We'll be sure to share a link to that documentary in the show notes so people can watch it. I really recommend it. Hedda Jenna, how did you begin working with this population? When I started studying psychology, or even before I started studying psychology, I wanted to make sure the job is right for me. I didn't know how difficult it might get. And I wanted to experience working with population with some sort of impairment or disability. So I started an internship at the psychiatric clinics. And I was there for over two years. And maybe six or seven months of that time, I was working at the children's ward of the psychiatric hospital. And most of the clients there were children with ASDs and their parents. And I found them incredibly sweet. I don't know. I, I, I still can't really describe what is it about our children that is so charming. But they were 
obviously so sweet, so innocent, so good, and just having difficult times. And so were their parents. They were really dedicated and they loved their children and they were just really tired and sometimes desperate. And the child psychiatrist I was working with, she was amazing. And she was actually trying to help those families as much as she could. She was talking to them and taking time to let the parents have some free time for themselves. Still, there was not much she could do because it was not even in Prague back then. And I don't think anyone heard about ABA in that small town (laughs) or at that psychiatric clinic back then. So she had nothing to offer to those parents, but some medication for both them and their children to make it a bit easier for them. So even though she really wanted to and she really tried, she didn't have any solution for them. And I felt sort of desperate. I really liked those kids. I really liked those families. And I couldn't imagine working with them. I couldn't imagine telling them every single day, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do for you what else to do for you. So that was my first experience. And even though I really enjoyed it, I dropped the idea that I would be working with children with autism because I just couldn't find any approach that would make sense to me back then. And how did you get introduced to ABA? That was a complete coincidence. I was strolling through my Facebook, I think, and suddenly a note popped up from Masaryk's University in Brno that they had a couple of scholarship spots to study applied behavior analysis on the Florida Institute of Technology. I've never heard of applied behavior analysis before. And back then, I was already almost finishing my psychology studies. And I just opened the document and I read a little bit about it. And then I read some more on the internet and it just sounded a bit too good to be true. And I was wondering how come I've never heard about this method? How come I've never heard about something that has decades of research and is so common in the US, for example? So I just tried my luck. I applied and I got the scholarship and that's how it all began. Wow. (laughs) What are the chances you would have had something land in your lap that you ended up dedicating your whole life to? (laughs) Right. Yes. You might have heard of our CEO, Molly, talk about a passion station, and I love this idea. So I'll just explain for people who are unfamiliar. A passion station is a memory that you reflect on that reminds you of why you love doing what you do. It could be related to a specific person or event. It's something that inspires or moves you. And sometimes in our work, we may feel stuck in a lack of motivation or energy. We may feel tired or burnt out. We may even question if we're on the right path for what we're trying to accomplish. It's in these moments that we need to visit our passion station and fill up like a refuel of passion. So Katajena, what is your passion station? I think I have a whole lot of them, actually. (laughs) There are constantly (laughs) new ones coming in. One of my strongest months would be the first client I was fully responsible for. When I started working in the center, three years back. After three months, there was a new family coming in and they were foreigners and they could not speak Czech and they wanted therapy for their back then three years old child, a daughter in English. And I was the only one who could speak English back then in the center. So I was suddenly fully responsible for the program and for the girl and everything around her. And she was incredibly sweet. When she came, she could only say basically one word, which was gift. And she was (laughs) saying it to everything. 
but she had this amazing huge smile and she had wonderful eye contact she was breaking every single myth about autism she was so social and so cuddly even though the beginnings were extremely difficult because she just wouldn't want to leave her mom for a single second and she was screaming and crying every time the mom tried to leave the room it only took three weeks and suddenly she was running towards the center she was always laughing so hard she never wanted to leave the session and she was this amazing first client where you actually find out how well do ABA principles work because everything we tried, everything I put into the behavior plan worked immediately. She was such a fast learner. It was like a miraculous progress every single day with her. So I think my passion station would be her huge smile and also talking to her mom after one session where her younger sister wanted to come in to our playroom because there was a lot of swings. And she also wanted to swing. And they started fighting a bit over the swing. And I started handling both of them. And I taught both of them to wait and to mount or to ask for swinging in like two minutes. It was super <laughs> easy. And the mom was standing there. She was looking at me and she said, I just want to take you with me. I want to take you to my pocket and bring you, bring you with us home. That's a beautiful moment when you can see that the parents have bought in to ABA also and that they can see the progress in their children. I'm sure all of our listeners can reflect on their own passion stations. Mine is a boy I used to work with when I was living in France. I mentioned him in episode three that I recorded with Eileen Lamb. This boy was six years old at the time when I met him, and he engaged in a lot of self-injurious behavior. He would hit his head and bite his hand. He was able to make some sounds, but he didn't have any functional communication skills. So I used music in our session to teach him how to make requests. So for example, I would sing nursery rhymes, like the catchy melodies, and leave out a word for him to sing, like... Row, row, row your... And from him practicing the ba sound for boat. Do you know that song? I've heard it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from him practicing the ba sound, he was able to generalize it to ball and his favorite bonbon, which is candy in French. Aww. So over time, we saw the self-injurious behavior decrease. And he was always so excited for music time. And every time I think about him, I feel a refuel of passion. And I can also picture his smile, too. And I'm reminded why I love working with this population. I find this absolutely an amazing example of the work we do. Sometimes ABA is viewed as highly structured and impersonal. But then you have to get so creative because you have to be the most interesting thing for the children. You have to be the motivation for them. And you have to come up with something so individual and perfect for them, like exactly this, just teaching them by singing songs. It has nothing to do with some cookbook recipe or cookbook approach. It is an amazing, creative and fun work. Yeah, ABA has come a long way since the old days of very rigid, structured teaching. It still gets a bad reputation, unfortunately, but I think with more exposure and more modern programs like we are doing, people will discover what's possible with ABA. Katajena, when did you start working at ABA Centrum? 
I came, it would be exactly four years ago, was April. And I had already started my third semester studying ABA on FIT. So I had some theoretical background, but I still had no idea what would the work actually look like. And back then, the ABA Center was the only behavior analytical center in the whole country. And they were searching for therapists. And again, this just randomly popped up on my Facebook page. So I applied and I came for an interview. And I think the excitement was on the both sides. Like, oh my God, there's actually a center where I can apply ABA. And uh, (laughs) oh my God, there's actually someone who wants to do ABA and who even studies ABA. (laughs) (laughs) So it was an instant click. And at first for about a month, I was only observing the sessions. And I was completely freaked out because it seemed so fast and very structured. And I had no idea what the cards were and how to ask proper questions and how to do the work with the children. And everything I've learned theoretically was just so difficult to apply with the kids. And in the end, I had to remind myself that the most important part of our work is to have a really good relationship with the child, to learn how to play with them, to get to know each individual child, to find out what motivates them, what actually makes them want to be with us. And so I started with just that, playing with the kids and getting to know them and having fun together. And all of the other things just came over time. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the center now. How many students do you serve? How many staff members do you have? We've experienced quite a growth over the last two years. Three years back when I started, the center was owned and led by Katrin Tallinn. And when I started, there were five therapists, I think. And in a couple of weeks, three of them left. So for some time, there were only the two of us plus one more therapist who came shortly after that and right now we have a different owner and there is currently 11 therapists working with children we have seven therapists working in czech section with czech clients and four therapists working with ukrainian and russian clients very diverse yes we currently offer therapies in seven different languages wow so czech ukrainian Russian. Slovakian, English, German, Spanish. I think that's it. That's seven. Yeah. Very cool. Are there other ABA centers in your area? Right now in Prague, there are in total three ABA centers that I can vote for or that I think are absolutely amazing. There is Abastrategie, which was the second center that started after ABA Centrum. And it is led by one of the two Czech BCBAs that we have, Katarina Hrabkova. And then there is a small center or an office of ABA under the National Institute of Autism, led by our only BCABA, Lucia Schuma. And those two places I would wholeheartedly recommend. I think they are doing the best ABA you can ask for. Do you collaborate with other disciplines? We're starting to. We definitely want to. We have to, I think. (laughs) It's not possible. And we experience that every single day, that we can only provide our services in the field of ABA 
or potentially psychology, which is also my field. But there are so many things we just do not know. We are not educated in speech therapy. We're not educated in occupational therapy. We're not educated in physiotherapy, in medicine. And we need those points of view so much because sometimes we're working on something and the child seems to be stuck and we have hard time setting the program in a way that would be good for them. And then someone comes who has a background in speech therapy and they say, oh, this is not possible because those muscles around your mouth work in a little bit different way. Or an OT comes and they say, oh, that's clear why the child cannot do this imitation because they still hasn't developed this sort of grasp. So it is perfect for us to have someone to give us an advice on that. So we started uh, collaboration and currently, or after the COVID crisis passes, we have experts from the fields of speech therapy, occupational therapy and physiotherapy coming into the center regularly. And they check our kids. They help us create the most efficient program from all different points of view. It's really great to hear that you're starting to collaborate with other professionals. Unfortunately, from my experience, I've come across a lot of ABA practitioners who can sometimes get in their head and think that ABA is the only way to do things and even look down upon other fields. And this is so toxic for what we're trying to promote. Yeah, I agree. I can't understand that. I feel completely helpless sometimes because I don't know how the physiology of the child works or so. And we all want the same thing. We want the child to develop in the best possible way. And even though ABA is very powerful, there is no way we know everything about the child and about the, their development. And it is so empowering to have multiple people working on the program and knowing that you're actually putting things together in a meaningful way and slowly also getting insights into the other disciplines that I find amazing that we teach them something about ABA that they might be using in their private practice. They teach us something about OT or about speech therapy that we might incorporate into the programs. And not only with those specialists, but also, for example, People who work with our kids at schools, the assistants or special education teachers, every time someone is interested in finding something more about ABA and they come on some of our trainings because they want to know how to work with those kids, I'm amazed. This, it's their free time, it's their private resources, and they want to know. And we need them as well because, you know, the basic of our work or if you want the intervention to be efficient, we need as many people as possible to work with the child in a good way. And we all need to work with the child in the same way. So not to react differently every single time. So it's in our own best interest to collaborate with everyone around them. Exactly. I want to talk about the BACV announcement from December of 2019. They announced that they will no longer accept certification applications from individuals who reside outside the U.S. and Canada. How has this change affected you? Because you've finished your coursework and your experience hours to sit for the exam. Do you still plan on doing that? Absolutely. Um, well, one thing is that this won't happen until 2023. And even if it happens, I imagine the certification itself still is super important for many reasons. So I definitely want to follow through and I definitely want to sit for the exam. I remember 
the day it was announced, suddenly there were people from the ABA community in Czech Republic sharing the article, the announcement. And at first I couldn't even understand what that meant and people were getting angry and I just couldn't wrap my head around it. It was very confusing for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly the whole ABA, the global ABA community started getting nuts on all social media. Everyone was raging. And I think then I fully understood what it meant, how huge the announcement was. And in the same time, people started coming up with solutions. People started coming up with the brighter side. Like, this is the only thing that will make Europe create their own certification system. This is actually what we need. So even though the timeline for it is quite deadly, in the end, I think it's a necessary step for us to create something on our own, not to have to be dependent on the American board and on the set of rules that are quite understandably based on the American perception of ethics and social system and everything. So even though it is scary, I still believe it is a necessary step for the change that has to happen. And it's a bit like with the COVID, you know, you would never think that things can go so fast. You would think that some projects just have to take years. And then the global pandemic happened and things that they're meant to take years were suddenly finished within days or weeks. And that's because it was necessary to do. And I think now we're in the same situation with ABA. We just have to create something on our own. And even though we're afraid, I don't think it's not possible. I love that you've taken on a different perspective and seeing this as an opportunity. You mentioned that there are different ethical considerations between the, let's say, American culture and that of Europe. And you also gave a really wonderful presentation at ABAI last September in Sweden. We were there together. Would you mind sharing some of the ethical considerations that are different between both cultures? Sure. Well, first, thanks for the support. I couldn't have done that without you, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I think the code of ethics as such is great. All the points there make a lot of sense. I think what can be potentially problematic is to look at some of the explanations of the code as holy rules and losing connection to some ethical norms that I think are much more important. For example, if we make sure we never accept a gift from our client, we may also really harm the relationship. I don't think Czech Republic is so extremely different from some of the American habits or ethics. But there are countries where refusing to take a gift would mean something terrible for the relationship. And then I think the ethical guideline is not something that is written in a textbook, but the ethical guideline should be some of the basic principles that our science is built on, like do no harm and just always protect the client, always do what's the best for the relationship and also remaining critical, re-evaluating everything, remaining analytical, which is the very core of our science to always look at the current situation, at the individual situation with the individual person we're working with. It is not possible to just 
have a set of rules and follow them blindly because then we might end up doing something ethical on the surface, but actually causing a lot of harm. Exactly. I understand that it is so important for Europe to create their own certification board. Could you talk a little bit about why this is important? What is happening in Czech Republic with other autism centers who maybe are claiming to practice ABA, but don't have any kind of certification to back them up? Right now, this is a really tricky situation. And it is really difficult to talk about it without making someone angry. But... Right now, ABA is not well-rooted in the Czech legal system. And even though there is a law regarding ABA, it's all connected to the BACB certification, which becomes invalid after 2023. So now that has to be rewritten. And since it was not very easy to manage to get the law or the part about ABA there in the first place, I think this is causing a lot of worries to people who did an amazing job squeezing this part about behavior analysis into the Czech legal system, like Karel Panchocha from Brno. What is happening right now is that there are pretty clear rules for someone in Czech Republic to call themselves behavior analysts or offer behavior analysis. And right now, there's almost no one who can do that. And the law doesn't really consider in such detail differences between people who, for example, provide ABA under official supervision of a certified person and people who base their work on ABA. And they put everyone on the same level without discriminating that someone might have studied ABA, someone has an official supervision, and someone just did a short workshop on ABA, and they found it amazing, understandably, and they thought they could do it, so they started offering it. And this can obviously result in very harmful interventions. There is quite a few centers or quite a few approaches to autism or to the therapy of autism in Czech Republic right now. And I think that's great. I think we need all those diverse approaches. And just the fact that they do not have the luxury of decades of research, just like we do, that doesn't mean that they do not work or they should be forbidden. But then there are some approaches that take a lot from ABA and they just drop the part that might be really difficult, like collecting data and data analysis. And they tend to use a codebook approach. Like you have those set of rules, that's what you do, and your child with autism will get better. And it might work because those rules are based on ABA, but on some level, there is understanding on a deeper level missing. Mm -hmm. It's not individualized. Yes, exactly. How complex the program has to be, how complex the whole science of behavior is. And that worries me because even though they are amazing people, they want to work with children with autism, they are providing services that we don't have. So I don't want them to close the centers. I just wish there was some board or someone regulating what can we call ABA and what are the standards of this work and what are the differences and what are the possible educations. Because I imagine right now it is also not so easy to get the education in ABA still, even though we even have program in Czech Republic right now. 
maybe what those people are lacking are more opportunities to get the correct information to offer those services. Do you imagine yourself being part of a board in the future to help develop these kinds of regulations? I'm afraid to say that, but I'd rather not. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's amazing to be here when everything is happening, to be present to ABA being born in Czech Republic. And I'm super grateful because there are only a couple of people right now doing ABA and they are all absolutely amazing. They're dedicated. They want to change the world for the better. And they are all extremely exhausted. We had a big meeting in December around 20 clinicians from the whole country met in our center and we had this first round and everyone said hello I am this and that my experience is this and I'm really tired and even though our work is amazing because we get immediate we get instant feedback we get those smiles and this huge progress of our children and the parents talking to the parents is also great it is kind of a easy way to burn out to do too much and I think the center will always be in the first place for me I always want to take care of the clients in the center and of the families and of the therapists in the center and I'm afraid that if I go for something bigger right now I might just also fail the families that depend on me right now I am Excited to see what's happening in this area. And I am very happy to help. I just don't think right now I have a capacity to play any bigger role in the process. Mm -hmm. So switching topics, tell us about the partnership between ABA Centrum and the Global Autism Project. I just realized yesterday I started counting how many Autism Project trips I've met. And I stopped counting in the middle. <laughs> the skill core <laughs> trips. Yeah. <laughs> the skill core trips, yes. So the center has already partnered with the Global Autism Project when I started working there. And they already had one trip before I started. Do you remember what year that was? That was 2017. Mm-hmm. And ever since, I think we've had five or six skill core trips. And every single one of them or every single team was bigger and bigger and (laughs) more and more amazing. Uh, The first trip was, I think, of five people. And the last two were of 10 and nine people. And it was always an amazing experience. There were always two weeks so incredibly full of work that after the team left, We all slept for like 24 hours straight. (laughs) (laughs) And in the same time, we had really hard time falling asleep because we were so excited to implement all the changes and everything that we've worked on together. So every time it was an incredible portion of inspiration and energy and also a really necessary support. There are not so many of us doing this work in here and it's not always very easy for different reasons and just someone coming in someone who might be running their own center in the US someone who might have more experience or different kind of experience watching you doing your work and saying hey you're doing amazing this is great that's 
something you don't even know you really needed to hear until you hear it. Mm-hmm. You're not the first person who said that. Yeah. And how about your relationship with other partners, the Global Autism Project? You went to Global Summit last year in Bali. What was that like for you? That was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. I'm really, really sorry due to the COVID this year's summit is cancelled. And I still believe that only means that the next ones will be only more amazing. Mm -hmm. Before the summit, I knew about the other partners. And I knew about the countries where Global Autism Project was working. And we did one little project together when we put together a map about ABN autism around the world for April as the month of autism awareness last year. But that was pretty much it. I had no idea what the people were like. And then suddenly we were all together in Bali. This tiny little beautiful island and there were I don't know 80 people everyone wholeheartedly devoted to autism and all the partners everyone we've heard about they were with us in one room most of them in uh, one accommodation and we were having breakfast together and we did all those amazing activities together and we listened to their stories and Suddenly it was so clear that we all share the same story. We all share the same struggles. We all do the work for the same reason. And it doesn't matter whether we're from Czech Republic or China or Ecuador. It was beautiful. It was one of the most uplifting experiences. And sometimes I still have a hard time believing that I could be a part of. Mm -hmm. And it's really great that we've kept in touch even through these times when some of our partners have had to shut down their centers. We have our weekly calls and we're able to check in with each other and support each other through these times. And it's just a reminder of the community we've built. And it's like you said, it's a reminder that we are not alone in what we're doing. Yes, it is amazing to see all the partners every single week. And even though those are super hard times, again, these people are one of the strongest people and most inspiring people I've ever met. And When I talk to them every week, even though the situation is awful in some of those countries, there is still so much hope and support happening. Yeah, it's very inspirational to hear how people are overcoming these challenges. All right, Karajana, I'd like to go back to ABA Centrum. You run a very impressive parent training program there. Could you tell us a little bit of how you came up with the plan and how it's implemented? Our parent training has been quite a journey, actually. When I started in the center, there was no parent training. We just took the child from the parent and we worked with them because we didn't want to waste any more time. You know, the parents came, the child was already four or five years old. They were desperate and we said, okay, let's do it right now. And slowly we realized that's not really possible. For one thing, the parents didn't understand why we do what we do. Why is it necessary? Why? Do we play so much with the children? Why do they pay so much money for us playing with their children? And in the same time, it only meant that the child would get four to six hours of ABA weekly, which is very little. And the parents had no idea how to work with them at home. 
And we realized that training the parents, teaching them how to work with the children is actually the only possible way how to provide those kids those necessary 25 to 40 hours of therapy every week. It doesn't mean they have to pay incredible amount of money for us to take care of their child every single day. It means that we can take those perfectly understandable and highly logical procedures that ABA has and we can explain them to the parents and we can create a program for them to help them apply them in their natural setting. And that way they can be teaching every single minute of the day. Because it's really about learning to spot the opportunities and creating the opportunities and providing the right help to the child. Or what <laughs> we found out mostly is to stop helping the child so much because they can get so independent just by the parents stopping doing the things for them. And slowly we were developing more and more trainings and adding more trainings. And then in some point we realized there was still one thing missing, which was the motivation of the parents because we were just another approach that was telling them what to do and what not to do and they didn't get the why so we decided to make those trainings fun and to interconnect the community of our parents we have a waiting room and before that the parents were just sitting there separately sometimes they said a little bit about their life but that was it and we set group trainings where the parents find out something about each other and we have a lot of fun activities and they will actually try those principles' life. Why is it necessary to do this and that? Because ABA is amazing because everything is so easy to show real life and we can come up with activities where the parents try it in a playful way. They have fun and suddenly it clicks and it's like, right, that's why I need to do this. That's how my child feels. And it turned out to be amazing. And the parents are friends by now. So our waiting room is very lively. We have Facebook groups. They keep talking to each other and they are huge support for each other. Because again, as I said, the community around autism is not small at all in Czech Republic, but somehow people are so separate from each other. And this was a great way to connect them more. So you've mobilized this community of parents and encouraged them to work with their children more at home. What have you been doing this last month that your center has been closed to ensure that your students continue to receive services? Probably as for everyone else, even for us, the whole COVID situation was very unexpected. Or For a long time, we didn't think it would be so bad. And when the center actually got closed, both us and the families were shocked. And I just didn't want to not support the families for weeks to come because no one had an idea how long this would take. And it's been six weeks since the center has closed. And we just wanted to make sure that the children won't lose all the skills that the parents and the therapists have been working so hard on. And we wrote an email to the parents and we said, we want to offer you support online. Would you be willing to do that? And we knew it would be super hard for those families because they have other kids they needed to take care of. Some of the families or some of the parents lost their jobs and they were also in a very uneasy financial situation. And there was a huge wave of emails immediately saying, yes, please, we definitely want to continue online, which is a great feedback for us, a reflection of the relationship that we built with the families. And we just jumped in. It was, again, 
we were not ready for this and we didn't know how to use technologies properly. We had no materials from the center. We had no programs from the center. And we knew that the parents were working or the current need is something completely different than what we might be working in the center. Because right now they had to teach the children how to tolerate mouth cover, how to stay at home the whole time and so on. So it was all very unprecedented. And at first we just met with every single parent on Zoom for one hour to talk about their current situation. What does it mean for them? How do they feel? What can we do for them at this point? And we took it more as a general support for the family. So we said to them that if they are struggling with some of their other children, that might not be even the center's clients, we can also talk about that and try to apply the ABA principles into their lives in general to handle this crisis situation. And ever since we had weekly calls with those families and they are actually working so hard because they are trained. Most of the families were trained even before that. So they know what to do and we just supervise them. They send us videos and questions and we support them as consultants. So it showed us clearly that this is a very possible way of work. And then there was another group of parents that just got accepted to the center right before the pandemic. So they had no previous experience in ABA. They were just really grateful to finally get to the center. And two weeks later, the center gets closed. Mm. But since the parent training model we already have is pretty solid, we just decided to transfer it all online. And we asked the families and again, they were excited and all of them said, yes, I definitely want to do this. So we had the bigger part of the training, which was 10 hours in total. We had it online through Zoom. So that even after that, the parents can have their online consultations and they can start doing at least tiny little steps at homes during this crisis. That's amazing. And so important right now for them to feel empowered over this situation and learn more about their children too, maybe in ways that they wouldn't have if they were just dropping their kids off at the center. Exactly. That's what we said, that in a way it's perfect timing because some of the parents were still reluctant to actually transfer our teachings into the natural environment. And now there was nothing else to do. And This also turned out to be a perfect time to build really good daily living skills and support the children in independency because the parents just had to take care of the whole household. They had to work. They had other kids to take care of. So the kids had to be independent. And now they were forced to apply those principles that they already know so well. And in a way, I think it helped us to move on with some of the skills. We might not have so much time in the center or we would not be even working on in the center. Mm -hmm. And what is the current situation in Czech Republic? You are opening your center again soon, right? Yes, we are reopening in just four days. I think we were really lucky, especially when I actually listen to the other partners all around the world on our weekly calls. I always think that the Czech Republic handled the situation really well. And everything should be going back to normal pretty soon. This week, there is a major study going on where they're randomly testing people to see what part of the population already did have the virus. And so far, it seems to be really good. 
So the estimations are within two to three weeks, everything should be pretty much back to normal. That's such good news. And just to give a reference for the listeners, we're recording this on April 23rd. So I hope all goes as planned for you and you can open on time. Yeah, thank you. We hope so too. I mean, no one knows what the release of those rules will cause. But by now, I think we're pretty confident that even if we have to go back to the online version of our center, we can definitely handle that. Mm -hmm. All right, Katajana, we're going to have to wrap up here in a little bit, but I just wanted to close with one last question. Do you have any advice for other supervisors who may be struggling at this time to keep their team morale high? I think my main piece of advice would be to involve them. At first, when the crisis happened, there was so much to do on a practical level. Emailing, scheduling, creating tables and graphs. And I was worried that if I asked my team to do this, they will hate it because, you know, they came to the center to work with children, not to do administrative tasks. And then I remembered this is something we went uh, through together on our regional summit last year. And that people actually want the responsibility and it is not bad to delegate the task. So I started to involve the whole team and I asked them to do some things and everyone jumped in incredibly fast. And they got excited about the whole new online version of the center. And they got excited about taking the opportunity to study. So we were sending links to all different kinds of workshops that were suddenly available for free. So part of my team got actually trained in VBMAP in one of our assessment tools during the crisis. And then we just try to come up with creative ideas. So, for example, we put together a Facebook page for our parents where we were uploading videos of potential fun activities they can do at home with their children. We try to connect the families more. The whole team, but especially three members of the team, dedicated incredible amount of time into raising awareness on the 2nd of April. And they did a great job. Even though the whole world was consumed by COVID, somehow they managed to create this amazing social media campaign on uh, Facebook and Instagram. And it was a huge success. And I'm so proud of them. And I think we suddenly had time to remember that this work is, again, creative and can be fun. And we can support the families in so many different ways, not just working directly with their children. So I think really including every single team member meeting regularly and letting them come up with fun ideas they could do ideas that will be fun for them and useful for their families mm -hmm. and that's also a reflection of your leadership katajana you know i just want to give you credit for that too because they have looked to you for support in this and you've guided them in a way that is not only helpful for their students, but giving them meaning to their work also. Thank you. Thank you so much. I still don't think I can take too much credit because I just got lucky with the most amazing team, especially with my senior therapists. I really have no idea what would I do without them. Well, Katajana, it's been a pleasure speaking with you as always, and you're doing such an amazing job at ABA Centrum. 
You've grown so much as a clinician and as a supervisor. And I can say that I've witnessed a transformation in you through growth in your skills and in your confidence. And the world really needs more passionate change makers like you. Thank you. And really, thank you for all the support you've given me. Take care. You too. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. Katajena's dedication to the field of ABA and her commitment to the students and families at ABA Centrum is truly admirable. Speaking with Katajena reminded me of why I love working with the autistic population. My heart fills when I think about the different people I've worked with over the years. Whether it was a child learning how to communicate, a parent trying to manage challenging behaviors, or a teacher looking for a student's motivation, I feel fortunate to have had the chance to help them in some way. I invite you to reflect on your own passion station. Just to recap, our CEO Molly describes it as a memory that reminds you why you love doing what you do, whatever it may be. If ever you're feeling burnt out, or you've lost the direction in your path, or you just need to reconnect with what's meaningful to you, take a moment to visit your passion station and fill up like a refuel of passion. When I was working directly with clients, there were days I would come home feeling tired, lost, and confused. I questioned if I was writing appropriate goals, if I was providing enough support for therapists, if I was communicating well with parents. I questioned if all the energy spent was worth it. I turned to visit my passion station and heard that little six-year-old French boy say, Bonbon. I remembered the progress he made from engaging in daily instances of self-injurious behavior to eventually learning functional communication. I was immediately reminded why I chose this field and learned to trust that I was doing the best I could. I encourage you to keep your passion station at close reach if ever you're in need of some reassurance. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. Thanks for listening. Take care. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.